The following message is by Pastor Eugene Ahn of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. And so um, this morning we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 14, verse 22 to 23. And we're, the sermon today is titled Focused Faith. It's a familiar story. We're all familiar with it. But you're gonna, uh, we're going to read through the scripture, and you can follow on the screen this morning. Matthew 14, 22 to 33. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowds, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Let's pray together this morning. Jesus, we pray that you would speak to our hearts. Help us to identify where our fears are at, our doubts, our worries, and how we have taken our focus off of you. And Lord, we pray this morning that you would fix our gaze, target our our minds towards you and who you are. God, may your words speak to us powerfully today. We need you. We need your touch. We need your presence. And we want to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I shared this story years ago about running the Chicago Marathon. Just to let you know, it was in 2009. I never plan on running another marathon because it was absolutely gut-wrenching. Is there anybody planning to run the marathon? All right. Okay. Excellent. (laughs) Well, this is just to give you a frame of reference. It's 26.2 miles to run. So half of the marathon would be running from here to O'Hare Airport. And to run a full marathon, it would be from here to the Willis Tower, aka Sears Tower. And just think about that. And so as I shared this story about running the marathon, I talked about, you know, getting through it, but I never shared about the mindset after getting to the 13.1 mile marker. So I'm running through, and I'm going through, and after, you know, you do your 5K, and everyone's so happy, they're celebrating, it's three miles. (laughs) And they're, like, excited for you and whatever, and I kept going and got to 10 miles. I'm like, whew, I can't believe I got 10 miles in, all right, and people are still cheering. You get to 13.1, and then mentally you're thinking, I have to run another 13.1 miles. Are you kidding me? And you know what was happening? While I'm running, I'm seeing people on the left and the right of me. They're cramping up. They're in pain. And one of my most demoralizing moments was when I was legitimately trying to run, 
and the speedwalker passes me up. And I realize, oh, I'm running, but not as fast as a speedwalker. And so as I'm looking at these circumstances and I'm thinking about all that's going on, I begin to sink. And I'm trying to wrap my head around, how am I going to run another 13.1 miles? And something popped into my mind. It must have been God, because I'd never thought about this before. But I just thought to myself, just focus on the mile in front of you. Don't think about 13.1 because you're going to quit. Just focus on what's in front of you. And so as I kept progressing, I got to mile 15, mile 16, mile 17. You know, I'm just focusing on the mile in front of me. And then when I got to mile 20, I literally was bitter and angry. At this point, I had been running for like five hours. And I was like, no, no. I, I literally out loud said, no, I can't run anymore. There's just no way. And there's still 3.2 miles to go. Or 6.2, 6.2 miles. And as I'm going through, I'm just, I'm getting demoralized again. And I'm focusing on just how much is left. And this is the other thing they don't tell you on the marathon. They have school buses along the way. So if you're like, I'm done, they can drive you back. And so you're running and you see these school buses, you're like, no, no, I can't. And so I'm continuing on and I focus, just, just get to the next mile. Because when you begin to think about all the other circumstances, you begin to think about all the other things, it can make you sink and really discourage you. By God's grace, I got to the finish line. Praise God. And I was not the first, for sure. <laughs> I was almost the last. <laughs> but I'm really, really grateful I got through. And I want to share with you this story because focus is so important, isn't it? What you focus on is so, so important because what you focus on can make or break you. And this morning, we're going to learn about what it means to focus, who to focus on. Not what to focus on, but who to focus on. We're not going to learn about how do you look within and find the resolve because honestly, it's not going to work. It's not going to happen. This morning, some of you are facing some really tough situations. I know you look beautiful, you wear Sunday's best, you put the smile on, but if we're really, really honest... There's some deep fears going on. Things where we have not let God speak to us or touch us there. We're just like, don't, don't go there. Some of you may feel hopeless in your marriage. You may feel hopeless with your financial situation. You may feel empty in this season of life where you've gotten everything, really, you've gotten to this point, you've gotten everything you've wanted, but you're still feeling empty inside. In this famous narrative, Peter begins to walk on water. And it's a story that we're all familiar with, but I'm going to sort of unpack this narrative for us and just share some of the observations in it. But I want to say this. This is one of the main highlights, the big idea for today. When your focus is on Jesus, your faith will not sink. When you are fixed on Him, your trust will not sink in Him. 
And so as we read in the narrative this morning, it happened right after Jesus fed the 5,000. He fed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. That feeds my house just one week. How did he feed 5,000? He did this absolute miracle. And not only did he feed with five loaves and two fish, but they were leftovers. Anyone get excited for leftovers? I do. When I go to house parties, like, hey, are there leftovers? Because I'm trying to feed my family. And so there's 12 basketfuls of leftovers here. And Jesus tells, the, I don't know why, but Jesus begins to rush the disciples like, hey, you need to go. They were in Bethsaida and they're trying to get to Gennesaret. And he's like, you guys go, 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 go. And without asking questions, they hop in the boat. They begin rowing and they leave. And Jesus is there with the 5,000. He's dismissing them. One by one. I'm not sure exactly. They don't say in the scriptures, but he's dismissing them and letting them go. And finally, as he gets time to himself, he goes to pray. You know, after being with 5,000 people and ministering to 5,000 people, I'm sure even Jesus needed some time to be with the Father. And so he goes and finds a place to pray. And by the time it's over, it's pretty late. His prayer meetings were serious. And he was done, and he goes out, and the Bible says, he, it just says it so casually. And he just started walking on the water. What? Like if you're the original audience, you're, you're not knowing what's going to happen next. And they say, Jesus walked on water. And so he goes out and it says within the fourth watch of the night, which means that it's about 3 a.m. I don't know about you, but at 3 in the morning, I'm not expecting someone, anybody, even on dry land, let alone being on water. And these guys are out there rowing, and it's not, like when I used to picture this passage, I thought, oh, it's just calm, serene water. The Bible tells it's choppy, it's windy, and these guys are working, and they're trying to get to Gennesaret. And they're working through the night to row and row, and they are struggling, but they're focused. I'm just trying to get to my destination. And so out of nowhere they start seeing a silhouette. Now, i got to share something with you. I used to work second shift, and I would get home at 2, 3 in the morning, and living in Chicago, you want to make sure the streets are clear because you don't want to have an unknown person just saying, what's up, at 2 in the morning. And so for me, I would drive around, and I had the street park, so I'm looking around, making sure the street is clear. And one night, I came home, and I checked the streets. Everything was clear. I get out of my car, and... Someone comes up behind me. What's up? I was like, oh, I'm getting robbed tonight. Sit. I'm getting robbed. I had my gym bag. I had my computer. My, I'm getting robbed tonight. And I'm like, what's up, man? He's like, you got a square? Which means cigarette if you don't know what that is. Okay. Uh, no, nah, man. And I just tried to play 100% cool. Like, no, nah, man, I don't smoke. All right. And he just left. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I can't believe it. I am not getting robbed tonight. But this is the kind of fright and terror the disciples are feeling. In the middle of the night, out of nowhere, they see a man on the water. I don't know about you, but if I'm on that boat, I have zero idea of personal space. I'm grabbing, holding, screaming. Like, I have no reservation at that point. Oh my gosh, it's a ghost! What is going on? Because you can't go anywhere. You're on a boat. And they're freaking out, and they're going out of their minds. And, and Jesus... He just plays it so cool. Hey, guys, take heart. It's me. And it calms down, 
But the next thing that happens, the disciples, I'm sure the adrenaline's pumping, they're freaked out. The next thing that happens, what does Peter say? Lord, if it's you, command me on the water. Can you imagine, like, if you heard Peter say that, like, are you crazy? What are you talking about? But Peter, just so focused, fixed, laser beam, if it's you, Lord, command me to yourself. And what does Jesus say? Hey, man, you don't have son of God status. Like, that would be really, un- it'd be awkward. You can't do this. Or did he say, I need, I need an offering. Like, can you give a sacrifice? I know it's not a good time, but it would really be helpful. Jesus says one word, come. Just come. And Peter being so impulsive. I like Peter because I'm very impulsive too. But just being so, he's just like, all right, let's do it. Just gets out of the boat and begins to walk. The Bible says that he walked on water. Can you imagine the adrenaline rush? The excitement, just the awe and the wonder that this is really happening. This is not story time. This is really happening. And so Peter being fixed on Jesus is walking to him on water. I mean, Peter used to be a fisherman. So he knows what it's like to be out on this water. And I'm sure he is blown away. But somewhere in the middle of this, he looks and he sees, oh my gosh, look at the waves. What am I doing out here? He's taken his focus off of Jesus. And the next thing we know, what does he do? Lord, Lord, I'm drowning. I'm on water. What am I doing here? And he asks, Lord, save me. Rescue me. And the Bible says immediately Jesus comes in and picks him up. And he says these words to him. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And Peter, being sopping wet, comes out of the water. And Jesus enters into the boat. And then the waves and the wind stop. Imagine this. You have been rowing all night. The waters have been choppy. The wind is crazy. And then out of nowhere, this man shows up, walking on water. The wind and waves are crazy. You see a buddy of yours walk on water, and then he's drowning, and then he's saved. And then when he comes in the boat, silence, peace. And the disciples recognize. They bowed down on their knees. And in the scriptures, it says they worshipped him. And in that culture, you don't worship standing up. You get on your hands and knees, face to the ground, and they say, truly, you are the Son of God. That narrative is insane. But also for us today, My question is this, what causes our faith to sink? How do we become like Peter? And even though we know what God can do, we're watching him, we're focused on him, but we take our eyes off of him and we begin to sink. That first scenario, Jesus comes out of nowhere, the disciples are terrified and, you know, Uh, All throughout the Bible, God uses these situations to surprise us, to shock us out of nowhere. And so when your focus is on the unknown, your faith will sink. When we don't know what's ahead, 
when something unexpected comes at us and we're, we react and we're terrified. Aren't you? Like when things happen to me when I just did not expect it, there is that sinking feeling in my faith. That sinking feeling that, oh my goodness, what is happening? You know, Jesus, this is not the only time that the disciples were terrified. He kept telling them over and over again, where I'm going, you guys can't go. And if you're the disciples, you've been with them for three years, and your, your leader tells you, I'm going somewhere, but you can't go with me, what do you mean? And in the Bible, it says that they were terrified. They were scared. They were fearful. And Peter, speaking for the entire group, says, what, what do you mean? Where are you going? It's that fear of the unknown, that fear of what's ahead, and we're not sure. After Jesus was crucified, the disciples lived in terror and fright because they didn't know what was going to happen. They were behind locked door together because they thought, we're next. They're going to come after us. And when Jesus reappears to them and confronts them, let's listen to what happens. In Luke chapter 24, verse 36 to 43, we have the scripture on the screen. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were what? Startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. Does that sound familiar? And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do your doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. When the unknown and unexpected happen in our lives, we respond just like the disciples. Terrified, frightful, anxious, worried, distressed. But why is that? Why is that the immediate reaction for all of us? Elliot Cohen, one of the authors on the Psychology Today magazine, he wrote this, One of the most prevalent fears people have is that of losing control. Anyone like control? I do, definitely. This is the fear that if you don't manage to control the outcome of future events, something terrible will happen. The crux of the problem is the demand for certainty in a world that is always tentative and uncertain. It is precisely this unrealistic demand that creates the anxiety. You think that you must accurately predict and manage the future, not just have some probabilistic and uncertain handle on it. At the heart of the matter, we desire control. We want to know what's next. We get fearful when we don't know what's going to happen next. We demand certainty in an uncertain world. This morning as you've come in, are you facing something like that? Is there something uncertain in your life that you're wondering, how am I going to get through this? And I, we have an answer for it, but I'm not there yet. Let's go on to the next scene. There's another fear at play during this scene as well. In scene two, Peter's walking on water, and what does he do? He turns his focus away from the Savior of the world, from Jesus, the man that's empowering him to walk, and he begins to see the winds and the waves around him. And when Peter began walking, this is the thing, the winds and waves were always there. He was rowing through the night, and he was very familiar with what was going on. But when he was walking on water, focused on Christ, he didn't even notice it. 
The same thing when I was running the marathon, I tried to channel out all that other stuff and just focus on what I had in front of me. But when his focus turned and began to look to the left and to the right, he began to sink. Literally, his faith was sinking. When your focus is on the known circumstances, your faith will sink. Sometimes we like to calculate and say, well, look, this is what the circumstances say. And, you know, like if it looks like this, then I feel strong enough, I'm going to go for it. Well, if the circumstances don't look right, well, I I don't know how I feel about it. And, and, you know, I'm just, no, I'm not going to do it. Sometimes not knowing the future can, uh, can be better than actually realizing your true circumstances, amen? Sometimes not knowing, like, oh, I just don't know, then when you actually calculate all the stuff that's happening at that time, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm terrified. I don't know what to do. And throughout the Bible, God uses these visual circumstances. And really, these visual circumstances had the power to crush people's faith. I think about Moses crossing the Red Sea. Do you remember that moment? He's leaving the superpower of the Middle East and just saying, I know we were slaves, but we're going to our place now, and we're going to cross the Red Sea. I mean, if you're an Israelite, you're like, wait, what? Did you just say we're crossing, like going around the Red Sea? Because I can see that, but you mean through it? And those circumstances had the power to crush someone's faith because I just can't fathom it. I don't know how to get around it. Think about the walls of Jericho. Every time I read that narrative, God says, just go around the walls. Just, just do it. Seven days, just go around the wall. It's fine. Seventh day, just go around seven times and just shout as loud as you can. Like, I just imagine myself walking like, wait, what are we supposed to do? Like, did you say shout? Did you see the walls? They're like a hundred feet thick and we're going to just shout? And God uses these visual circumstances and our faith can get crushed by them because we're looking at the winds and the waves. The most famous passage is who? David and Goliath. They see Goliath coming out and all the Israelites are like, not me, I'm not going out there. Maybe you, maybe you. And they get this 12-year-old boy coming out. Oh yeah, I got this guy. Because his focus was on something else, on someone else. At the heart of the matter, it is a doubt that God is greater than our circumstances, isn't it? When we look at those circumstances and we just try and calculate it in our mind and we think, well, this is how it should be, this is what I can do. And when your faith begins to sink, you just think, God can't do it, I definitely can't do it. And those doubts begin to increase in power. And our God begins to shrink. And we just think, God can't do it. We don't say those kinds of things. But our actions speak louder than words. I don't believe that God can do it. And honestly, that's what Peter believed when he saw the winds and the waves. What am I doing here? Jesus, you can't, I'm not, I don't belong here. What am I doing? And when, when I would hear this passage and, and Jesus would say, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I always thought like, man, it's sort of a mean thing to say. What do you expect? I mean, he's walking on water. Easy, Jesus. But 
really what he's trying to say, why would you doubt me? Why would you question me? There was this interview that Jay Leno had with Michael Jordan, one of my favorite players. And it was so funny. Jay Leno asked this question, um, Michael, are you still able to dunk? And at this point, Michael is only 50 years old, okay? I know 50-year-olds here, we give you, you know, cush parking spaces. But for Michael Jordan, it's like, his response was this, are you stupid? Like, literally, on live TV, are you stupid? And Jayla's like, oh, we're a little testy, aren't we? He's like, yeah, I am testy. That's a dumb question. Of course I can dunk. And the same thing Jesus is saying, not in such harsh tone. Why would you doubt me? Why would you even question that this is a thing? I, I've got this. I know what I'm doing. But when our circumstances become more powerful than God, that fear makes us tremble. John Ortberg says this, My hunch is that the reason God says fear not so much is not that he wants us to be spared emotional discomfort. I think God says fear not so often because fear is the number one reason human beings are tempted to avoid what God asks them to do. Amen? And we are hardwired in this way. When we see a situation, it hits your amygdala. It's called the amygdala hijack. And immediately you think, do I fight or do I flight? And I'm going to say, if you're like me, you know, I'm not a fighter. I'm good. <laughs> Go this way. I'm gone. I'm, I'm, I'm going to flee. And when we see those circumstances that look so much bigger than God, we don't run to him. We run in the other direction. What fears are causing your faith to sink this morning? What is it that you have said, Oh God, there's no way. Do you know my spouse? There's no way you can work in this situation. God, do you know who my parents are? There's no way you can work in this situation. Do you know my boss? Lord, you know there's no way that you can work in this situation. But I want you to know, identify those fears this morning because there is a person we're going to turn to to help us, to lead us. So who causes our faith to stand? Who is this person? When your focus is on Jesus, your faith will not sink. When your focus, your target, your, your uh, just obsession is on him and just say, Lord, I know you are so much bigger. When your focus is on Jesus, your faith will not sink. When Jesus first encounters the disciples on the water, they say, it's a ghost. But he responds, take heart, it is I. And when we read it in English, we just think, he's just saying, bros, it's me, relax. No need to worry, it's me. But the original audience, when they're listening to this, they hear, it is I, the great I am. It's a reference to how God introduced himself to the Israelites. When Moses is talking to God, and Moses starts saying, well, hey, if Pharaoh asked me, like, who do you work for? Who am I supposed to say? 
And God says, tell them the great I am. I am the I am. No one has ever introduced themselves to me like that. But this is the almighty God, the creator of the universe. And he refers to himself in that way. And Jesus refers to himself in that way. He is not secondary. He is the Son of God. He is God Himself. And so when He says, Take heart, it is I, that's who He's saying He is. I am the great I am. You don't need to worry. You don't need to fear. I'm in control. And he does this not once, but multiple times. John chapter 8, verse 28. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And He who sent me is with me, and He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. I am God Almighty. And that is who he is saying he is. And when you wonder about the unknown, what is going to happen, just turn your focus on him because he says, I am the great I am. You don't need to worry about anything because I've got you. You can trust me. In John chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And you know what they start? They start picking up stones. You say you are God? So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Do you know what your Savior can do? In Matthew, in throughout Matthew, up until verse, uh, chapter 14, he is healing the sick. He's healing a man with leprosy. He healed a Roman centurion servant just by thinking it. He's healed. Roman centurion goes, oh, are you serious? What? Healing a demon-possessed man. He was on a boat. He was asleep on a boat that was in the middle of a storm. And his disciples are freaking out. Say, Jesus, don't you care? He wakes up. Stop it. <laughs> Done. It sounds funny, but if you were there, it ain't funny. Like, that's not normal. Like, who does that? He heals a paralytic. He feeds the 5,000. This is the God we worship. Amen? This is what he does not in the Gospels, but today. He is powerful and mighty. We sang this song, and I love the, the chorus. It says, Messiah, my Savior. There is power in your name. You're my rock and my redeemer. There's power in your name. You walk on the waters. You speak to the sea. You stand in the fire beside me. You roar like a lion. You bled as the lamb. You carry my healing in your hands. Amen? This is who we worship, and this is who we serve. Our God's gangster, man. I'm sorry. i got to say it. He's gangster, dude. And I know my, my kids, like I had, Catalyst has got to, had to get used to my urban lay. I don't know how to change. I'm sorry. God, change me to help ICC. Okay. Anyway. <sighs> Have you been focused on the unknown or the known circumstances? Jesus is in control. He's got the power over this. Focus on who he is. This is not 
wishful thinking. I have had coworkers where they are like, well, I hope the universe gives me, throws me some kind of bone. Ever, anyone ever hear that? They, they, they cry out to the universe like, bro, I know who you're talking to. It ain't the universe. It's not wishful thinking. It's not unfounded hope, but it's a targeted, fixed, precise, laser focus on a person. I have this slide up here. Like an archer fixing their eyes on a target. They acknowledge their surroundings. The wind may be blowing. The crowd could be going. But their focus is on the target. Let us focus our faith like the archer on a target. Our Savior, our Rescuer, the Son of God. And when you realize who He is, and what he's capable of doing, you will respond like the disciples after Jesus enters the boat. You will worship. Because this ain't any ordinary man. This is not just some common person. This is the Messiah, the Chosen One, the Redeemer, the Rescuer. He is the one that we worship. So the biggest question, how do I do it today? How do I live this focused life on Jesus? I love it. Jesus makes it so simple. He knows about guys like me that if you make it too complex, I'm not going to get it. And so he says one word. Just come. Just come to me. That's all we have to do is come. He's not focused on your failures and your shortcomings. That's what you're focused on. Forgiveness, healing, and love from Jesus that fully accepts you for who you are. He knows your deepest fears. He knows who you are. And He wants to lead you through it. He wants you to look to Him and say, Jesus, I need you. Because I'm not going to make it. I can't do it on my own. I need you. And saying yes to his invitation. This is the beautiful thing. It's in Romans 10, 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That has no conditions to it. All you need to do is come. The last story I want to share, and we're going to close, is as we shared about Tuba City, this was a very special trip for me. Um, it was the last trip I did with Catalyst, but also it was a trip where God messed me up. And when I say that, it's because before I went on the trip, I was really, really content with keeping God in a box. I would tell God, hey, I'm, I'm, my plans are this way. Like, is it okay if you stay in your lane? I stay in my lane. I'll be really good. I'll go to church every Sunday. I'll still do the ministry thing, but just you know, don't, don't go and get into my lane. And as I was going out to Tuba City, I mean, I was, I'm not an organized person. People may think that, but I poured over that schedule over and over again and just trying to make sure everything was in order. But I did not schedule in, oh God, come in power. But that is what he did. And this picture is a picture of our Wednesday night worship. And Pastor Chris had shared about this in his testimony. It was a crazy night. 
the worship you couldn't understand. It was really bad acoustics. We had no words, so nobody was singing. And then the preacher goes up and preaches a sermon, and literally 10 minutes in, they switch the sermon. She's like, oh, that's the wrong sermon. I'm going to switch it to another one. And we're like, what is going on? Like, what's happening? And then after that, after the sermon's done, she's like, okay, we're going to pray. Um, can someone go find the worship leader? And literally, like, <laughs> people are scrambling, and we're all just like, okay. And this is my favorite part. And then she says, okay, can I have the pastors come up and pray? I'm like, whoa, I am not ready. I don't know what's going on right now. And so I go up to the front, but I will tell you this, when I got up there, something was up. God was doing something. And rather than saying, oh God, can I just say my few words and pray over people and I'll be good? I just said, oh Lord, do what you do. And I asked him, pray through me, do whatever you have to do. And when the altar was open, these teens came flocking. And God showed up in power. And that is what happens when He invites, come, come to me. I will never forget that moment. It was such a powerful moment. It reminded me, my God is not weak. My God can mess us up in a good way to follow Him and do what He wants me to do. And this morning, I want to invite you to come. I want some of you that may have been attending ICC or going to church for years, and you're like, I forgot what, it, what it's like to experience God's power. I have forgotten what it's like to know Him in a personal, personal way. Some of you have come in here with fears and you're just surviving and you haven't looked to Jesus at all and you're just like, I'm trying to hold on for dear life. I invite you this morning to come. 